Pretty Mental is about accepting our full selves and inspiring others to do the same by being daringly unfiltered. This means completely normalizing all things mental health and the wild journey that has brought us here. We are challenging the stigmatization of normal human suffering, and we are done pretending and subscribing to the notion that it is taboo to have challenging mental health experiences. Welcome to the Pretty Mental Health Club, and enjoy the show. Hey, Valentina. Hey, Paula. And hello, everybody. And welcome to another episode of Pretty Mental. So in today's podcast, we sat down with psychotherapist and social justice advocate Tori Johnson to dive deeper into the subject of systematic racism and unpack some of the flaws in the criminal justice system that are allowing the oppression, abuse, and killing of black people in this country. We also addressed what white allies and all non-black allies need to be aware of as we continue forward with the Black Lives Matter movement, as well as the importance of continuing to build this momentum while balancing our self-care. And we also want to shout out Tori's sister, who you guys will hear in the background every now and then. We're going to have to have you on at some point, too. So let's take in two deep breaths. And another one. And again, be fully present for this one. And press play. Tori! Tori! Hello! Hi, ladies! Welcome to Pretty Mental. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, of course. Glad to be here. Yeah, during these wild, wild times. So Tori and I are colleagues from graduate school, and we connected really quickly when we were in school over the racial justice conversation and the criminal justice system issues. And it's the perfect time for us to reconnect and hold this conversation and hopefully offer the community some positive, valuable things to walk away from to empower all of you guys to be more educated on this topic so you can also join the conversation in a way that you feel more comfortable doing so. Yeah, let's do it. So Tori, how are you? How have you been doing during this whole thing? Oh boy, wow. Um, I've been doing okay. You know, I've been doing okay. Just really just trying to, um, I don't know, find my voice, validate myself, Um, you know, I've been policing people on Facebook about, you know, being critical about how people are responding to what's happening right now. Um, Just because I feel like we don't really get to judge how people are expressing their pain. Um, And so, you know, just making sure that people know that, like, I I see you and I hear you. Um, And then also making sure that I see and hear myself, too. That's so important because... I think when this all started about a week ago, it's just moved really fast. Um, And it's really powerful because obviously this issue has been around since the beginning of this country. So for people Mm -hmm. who may not be listening right when we drop it, if they listen months ahead of time, when we say this issue, we're talking about what everyone is the, the last thing that we are outraged about is George Floyd's death. And obviously this is not a singular moment. This is, we experienced it 
two weeks before or a month before um, Ahmaud Arbery and before that and before that and before that. Mm -hmm. But right now we're also in the middle of this, you know, people like it, it was a straw that broke the camel's back is what it feels like with George mm -hmm. Floyd's death. And everyone has just completely, it feels like a lot of people more than ever for the first time are really, really out here and saying like enough is enough. We cannot keep dealing with this level of racism and the murders and police brutality. We can't do this anymore. And white supremacy. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I was thinking about this last night and it's painful that how much pain is coming to the surface right now, but it's so important. So I just want to say that so people stay hopeful because this is actually a positive thing. It's kind of like when you first start going to therapy that all the shit comes up and you're like, oh, I don't know if I can do it, but it needs to come up so that then it can be released in this, this racial um, this racial discrimination and, and injustices have been taking place since the beginning of this country. And what's really powerful about this specific crossroads in time is that I feel like the collective was at its breaking point of vulnerability because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So everybody was very psychologically vulnerable and open when this happened and they weren't able to distract themselves or numb themselves in the way that we have done for forever, really. And that is why this is such an amazing opportunity to harness and to grasp and to just allow this movement to take momentum and say no more, right? And uh, not allow this to go on any further. I'm glad you mentioned the pandemic because being black is like you know in this pandemic is first it's like okay i have to take care of my body i have to keep myself safe you know we got to wear masks you got to make sure there's distance um and then there was this news that oh my god black people are more likely to get covid because of some of the underlying health issues so you know we already felt an attack on our bodies with covid right and then we can't even come up for a breath of fresh air before we turn on the news and there's brianna um, that's murdered in her home by the police during some type of drug raid or whatever. And then you have Ahmad who was minding his own business and keeping his social distance and, you know, working out. You have um, George Floyd, you know, being killed. And it's like, so not, there's really literally an attack on our bodies, you know, um, from the pandemic standpoint. And then also just dealing with um, white supremacy and, and anybody can harm our bodies or, um, you know, take our lives. Um, and so it's not just police, it's we're up for anybody. And it kind of feels like there's literally an attack everywhere from every front. Um, it's exhausting, it's tiring, it's sad, it's scary, um, it's infuriating. But right now, you know, to be a Black person is to be um, or potentially be attacked and you don't know where it's going to come from. And that's just horrible. Yeah, it's wild. Mm. It's wild. So, I mean, everybody is is waking up. This is what's been coming up for me. Like, I'm seeing a lot of non-Black people waking up to the reality that was there all along. And so our timelines are being flooded. Everything is just very aggressively in our faces. And I think for the people that already knew this was happening, and the Black community in particular... I wonder if it's exhausting 
the onslaught of like how much information and trauma, I get trauma porn is what we could call it, is being constantly paraded through. I mean, this, I, it's really important that this is all happening so aggressively for the people that are just waking up. But for the people that already knew it was happening and have been struggling with it day in and day out, I think it can get really overwhelming um, and even debilitating and, and affect people's mental health if we don't handle it correctly and honor that. Yeah. Uh, from a mental health standpoint, they're like, that part is exhausting, but it's also this overwhelming sense of like helplessness and hopelessness. Um, and while I wish I had some, you know, this whole, yes, keep hope alive and wake up. And this is where this is going to be that thing that changes everybody's perspective. And we're going to finally get our justice. And, you know, and I believe that because I have to. I have to believe because to not believe that is to um, it's to just kind of just suffer. And, and, and I won't, I'm not never been any type of person who take any type of thing like this lying down. So I can't really accept that right now, but I do understand this great sense of helplessness and hopelessness. And it's almost like we're bracing. We're going to have to brace ourselves for the next time. Right. Because before we could even get justice for Ahmad and really even get a, a true conviction, there was George. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's this constant thing of we're just really going to have to, like, learn how to just hold each other close enough um, to just embrace each other for the next impact and the next life or the next, um, you know, victim or the next heinous crime or murder. And and it just makes you feel like shit, you know, because damn, we just keep going through this over and over again. And when you say when I hear you say, you know, people are finally waking up it's like well hello I mean this has been going on for for a long time um you know you think about I saw a a a meme on um, Instagram and it had you know Kaepernick kneeling it was like well we couldn't do that and then I remember when Taraji spoke at her acceptance speech and she mentioned you know, Black Lives Matter, it's like, oh, that's too much. Or, you know, when, you know, you see the different ways that we try to get the message across and get people to understand what's happening to Black and Brown people, it's like, not that platform, not the Oscars, not this award ceremony, not this event, you know, not the NFL. And it's like, you know, what do you want us to do? And and you see the protest has been protest, but nobody's acknowledged them as protests anymore. And now they're riots. And it's like, I just don't want people to lose sight of the why this is happening. Like, you know, people are not just, they didn't just wake up angry and piss the fuck off and want to fuck some shit up. Like, that's not what happened. You know, somebody lost their lives. Um, it's, it's, it's just this overwhelming, I think a lot of people are just really angry because we know that um, as much as we want justice, it's going to take a whole lot of things and some systems that's going to have to change before um, this is happening. And I think as a black person, we also know that there's going to be a lot of lives that's going to be lost. Like there, there's going to be another murder. There's going to be some more police brutality. And that's the part that like, that really hurts. It's basically when you're describing like, oh, don't protest that way. No, 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 that, that's too much. Don't do it that way. Okay. Mm-hmm. Can we do it? Th- no, not that way either. Ultimately, the only way that's acceptable from those messages is just actually not protesting and taking it lying down. And it's the same exact dynamic as an abusive relationship. 
It's just happening at a wider level because that's the same thing that happens in an abusive relationship. You know, we can say, and I'm going to use, um, let's say a woman, it, it, men can get abused too, but in general, it tends to happen more to women that um, get physically and emotionally abused. But let's say she's in an abusive relationship and she, what will happen is that the person that's being abused will start trying different strategies to like work through it and, and, and somehow change the situation. So at first they might try, you know, silence. Maybe I'll just stay quiet. You know, maybe I'll, I'll tiptoe around it. And then they'll get abused for being too quiet. And so then they start speaking up and then they get abused for being angry, right? They get shamed into silence. And so then they fight back. And when they fight back, the abuser gets pissed because they're not, uh, it's all about control. And then they beat them up. So ultimately it's just saying, it's just shaming people into silence. And Florian, you and I were talking a little bit earlier on the phone um, about that project that came up in grad school. Um, do you want to speak to it a little bit? Yes. So Lord have mercy. I guess the petty person in me, but I don't want to say petty. It's really, I just felt like I wanted to go back to our group that we have on Facebook and bring it up to the group of our cohort members. But I was like, nah, Tori, they're not ready for that. They wasn't ready then. They definitely not ready now. Uh, but I got my license and my degree already. Right. But anyway, um, so I just felt like that the assignment was, you know, we were kind of tasked with talking about this election that was coming up. And um, I wish I really wish I knew the class. I want to say it was our advocacy class where we had to present and, and some of our cohort members presented on why Trump should be um, president or why people are going to vote for him or should vote for him. And I was like, is this really an assignment? Like, are we really doing this? And I felt offended then. And I really feel like I bet they probably feel like idiots. <laughs> because there's no way we could have sat in a class for two hours and watched people present poster after poster after poster about how Trump could be the president of the United States of America and why America is ready for a president who is so open and doesn't have a filter and he's new and fresh. And I'm like, are we really doing this? And to see, you know, on a serious note, to see all of the people who have lost their lives in the last four years since he's been the president of the United States. And I was telling Paula, you know, we could think about the children that somehow we completely forgot about, you know, um, at these borders who have been sexually assaulted and molested and ripped away from their parents. And, you know, we could think about all the people who were murdered because somehow this president was able to give people all the energy that they needed to infiltrate hate on another group. And so for no reason, you know, we have people getting killed, uh, mass murders and attacks on black lives. And you have the president now who's encouraging people to shoot, you know, the looters or, um, you know, this is what, and, and it's like, I'll take it personal because a lot of people died in the last four years who didn't have to. And that's me. It's pretty serious. Um, and you know, we actually had a presentation as future counselors, as future healers, as future community organizers and advocates. Um, and some of us really presented on this particular uh, man and why he could be good for our country and knew then that it was, it was fuckery. But I think the whole point of the presentation or the assignment was that um, 
oh, since we might work with clients who have different views than us, how can we maintain, you know, neutrality and all of that bullshit? It's bullshit then, it's bullshit now. And the reason I'm saying that is because I was on a, a black therapist group on Facebook. Um, and, uh, you know, this sister posted something along the lines of, you know, as therapists, we have to remember neutrality while this is going on with our clients. And I was like, fuck that. You know, like, what are we doing? It's our, we work with real people. We work with real people and real pain. And, you know, and I get the whole thing about as a therapist, be neutral. But um, no, we have a responsibility to call out what's happening. Um, and, and, and to say we need to be neutral because, I don't know, our clients might be Trump supporters or our clients might have, you know, felt, this type of way about the police. I don't really care about that because we're talking about what's right and what's we're talking about what's wrong. And um, if I'm not the therapist for you because of that, then so be it. And um, you know, because we, this is much bigger to me than a license. You know, um, I honor my license and I, and I do good work as a therapist. But I'm serious about this. I was a social justice advocate way before I decided that I wanted to be a therapist. And um, I hope that we don't start to lose sight of that. Like I was trying to tell her, like, what do you mean neutral? Like, how did we be neutral when a man was murdered for nine minutes um, on national TV? And it's okay to be a therapist and say that shit was wrong. It's okay to be a therapist and tell our clients, I understand why you're mad. I understand why you're in pain. I understand, you know, why you're um, upset. I understand the broken glass. I understand the banalized buildings. I understand the fires. I understand, you know, and I don't, I, I, neutrality is, it doesn't exist for me right now. We have to pick a side. You have to. Yeah. What is coming up for me is that I, I, I think back to Nazi Germany, right? And when we were studying that in the history books, all of us would be like, oh my God, I would never have just stood by and watched that happen. Um, oh, I can't believe they just followed orders to do that. And if I had been back there, if I had been alive back then, I would have, you know, taken action. I wouldn't have stood for that. But then we come to the experience of living through something similar. I mean, if, if not the same, it's a genocide. Mm-hmm. taking place and suddenly we find justifications it's possible to find justifications for not taking actions but we have to remember that it's the same thing you know this is going to go down in the history books and i think it is i mean it is valuable for everybody everybody to sit with themselves and ask which side do i which side of history do i want to be on the light or the dark you know the light or the darkness which side of history do i want to be on and Another important point that something you said when we were speaking on the phone earlier was that in that moment in class, you felt like if you said something, you would just feel like an angry black woman. And now you're like, no, I'm justified. And I wanted to address that label because I think it's because I don't think it's it's such an abusive term. Yeah, I wanted to address that label because it's such an abusive term to that has been propagated and promoted throughout our culture this notion of the angry black woman it's kind of like it's kind of like saying somebody that's being abused it's victimizing somebody that's in a position of abuse to shame them into silence it's like you should be angry it makes sense to be angry that's not something that 
should be condoned anymore as you know for for black women to be afraid to speak up or afraid to express their anger because they have every right to be angry it only makes sense and if anybody tries to shame you into silence for that then they're being extremely abusive yeah um true i mean for some they could feel like they may be being shamed into silence i think black women right now are not really giving a fuck about that you know um Black people in general, you know, for the people who maybe listen to this podcast, be very straight here. We're talking about mental health and we're talking about what happened to George Floyd and, and, you know, the injustices is happening around. But before any of that, you know, I'm a, a mother to a black son. You know, I have two black brothers, three black brothers. I have, you know, four black uncles and a host of a whole community of black and brown men and women. And so this is very personal for me. So while there may be attempts to shame um, us into silence, that's just not happening. And I think the America is starting to see that. Um, we're not, people are not being silent. People are pissed the fuck off. Um, people are going to say what they have to say. Um, people are going to express themselves the way that they feel like they need to express themselves and let people deal with their own feelings about it. Because we've tried other ways. And it has to, you know, it has to be loud. This is a time for raised voices. So, you know, if we want to talk about the angry black women, where are they? And, and let's all, like all of us be angry. You know, like this is the time to be like, yeah, hell yeah, we're angry black women, you know? And so um, that's just how I feel. I, I just feel like right now we're just, people are going to be loud and they should be loud. Their rage should be loud. Their sadness should be loud. Their grief should be loud. Um, conversations like this should be loud. Um, people should hear podcasts like this and feel uncomfortable because it's an uncomfortable subject. It is uncomfortable what's happening. Um, George Floyd was very uncomfortable. Um, Brianna felt uncomfortable. Ahmad, I'm pretty sure the moment he looked over his shoulder and saw a truck approaching him felt uncomfortable. So, you know, to hell with your comfort levels and, um, you know, the whole shaming into silence and all of that, like this is the times have completely changed. And we got to, like you said, we can't just sit and make a Facebook post. So I almost feel tasked with the responsibility with being invited on this podcast and reaching the audience um, that is going to reach to be unfiltered and raw and honest and, um, and not worry about the people who are going to choose to feel uncomfortable because no one is thinking about the comfort of these people when they are taking their last breaths or when their families are trying to figure out how to make life go on um, in the absence of their family members whose lives were stolen from them. Um, so, you know, I, this is just, I'm just, I have to be um, raw and like you guys promote, you know, unfiltered and honest about what's happening. Yeah, because being political and tiptoeing around the subject and trying to make everyone comfortable for fear of not shaming non-Black people, this is how we've gotten here. Mm -hmm. In the past when, you know, this has been happening forever, but we have allowed it to get to this point by keeping everyone comfortable and addressing it every now and then, every now and then. But I completely agree with you that now is the time more than ever to be like, I mean, truly like fuck everything else. This cannot keep going. This cannot keep going. And what you said earlier was like you, we have to band together right now because the reality is there is going to be another victim. 
And when you said that, like, I, I'm not surprised, but the depth of that statement just, it just, it hits you. Like we all need to expect another victim. So we don't allow the outrage to, to sizzle down. Mm. Yeah. It's it, when you come face to face with that reality, because that's what it is. It, that is where the hopelessness exists. Cause it's like, Oh my God, you know, this isn't where it stops. And, and you got to keep in mind, we're only talking about the murder of black mm-hmm. people and brown people. We're not even talking about the mistreatment. Mm-hmm. We're not even talking about the the unfair and, and ridiculous, uh, you know, injustices that are happening every day in our criminal justice system. Somebody went to prison today for something absolutely ridiculous where a white counterpart probably went home. You know, it's right here, like in, in Greensboro, I'm pretty sure they had court today and somebody just got locked up for some bullshit. And, um, or, you know, um, there's injustices and mistreatment of black and brown people that we haven't even, t- we're just, uh, this is just talking about the murder of, you know, a black man and black women by police and white supremacists. We're, this whole system is not even set up. You know, they, I hear them talk about, you know, where there's, there's still the good cops here. You know, there's only a few bad cops, but there, there's still good cops. And it's kind of like, well, yeah, the, the system was designed to have good cops and bad cops. This is, this is what we know, you know, so to, to try to make everybody feel come by our moment because, you know, they, well, they're all not bad. I mean, it's, it's just utterly ridiculous because the mistreatment of black people has been so consistent throughout history. Um, and we should be outraged as humans about the mistreatment, not just wait until they're murdered, not just wait until we're murdered, but we should be outraged by the treatment of Black people. And we're not even talking about that. You know, we're not talking about what happens every day in the courtrooms across the United States of America. We're not ha- talking about, you know, the stops that are happening on our highways across the United States of America, uh, where, you know, Black and brown people are pulled over um, and you know mistreated right in front of their children who sit in car seats in the back seat you know we're not talking about um the mistreatment of black and brown people you know at carowinds or amusement parks because they shouldn't be parked here or maybe they shouldn't be over there or whatever this bullshit that comes up with it's it's a life you know that it's an experience that unless you're black you don't really understand the depth of it all and I wish that America could become more outraged at the mistreatment before black life is stolen, before we're talking about the murder. We should be talking about how police are policing black and brown people way before they start putting their necks, their feet or their, their knees on our necks. Does that make sense? Like, Absolutely. Because that is, that's the abuse. That's the abuse. It's basically, it's a systematic abusive brainwashing of our black community into submission. It's also what comes up for me when, when you're saying all that is that I've seen a lot of comments on Instagram, like, Oh, that was one, like you said, that was one bad cop or like he, maybe just, he was racist. And it's like, this is way bigger than just race as in black or white race is not black or white, right? Like racism is a system. It is an entire system that this, country and the world is founded off of this is way more beyond that like i like or dislike black people this is we live in a system that is completely made 
to suppress and oppress black people and to help white people get to the top and to be able to not even realize that is a privilege in and of itself. So where we, you know, where I stand and what's happening right now is when you say you feel hopeless, it makes, of course you feel hopeless. Like you never asked to be in this fight. You never asked to be in this position. White people, non-black people have allowed this. They started it. They continued it. They have allowed it to go. I believe that it's the non-black people's responsibility to take on this fight. This is our fight to fight. This is not like you, again, you did not ask to be in this position. So what needs to happen and what we want to keep doing with Pretty Mental is talking about race as a system. And I mean, a great, a great place to start for any of our non-black listeners is White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. That's a, she goes heavily into that as well. And just realizing your own privilege and realizing that like, when is the last time that you had to think about your own race before leaving your house? Right. Um, and, and, and two, you know, I think a lot of the white counterparts are coming in, um, with the emotional, you know, support and, you know, we want to make sure you guys are feeling okay and doing okay. And the thing is like, to be honest, black people are resilient people. We can heal our damn self. You know, we don't need your healing. <laughs> we need justice. Mm-hmm. We need, you know, we need to see justice happen um, on account of the fucked up shit that's happening. You know, we 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 do very well with, um, you know, healing ourselves and providing healing circles and support for one another. We we, we got that. You know, we had we've been healing ourselves with no intervention since the 1800s, since the Atlantic slave trade. You know. Um, we need justice and that's what's happening. I mean, I hear, you know, corporate America talk about, well, you know, we're all working on healing and community healing and you hear it, this healing word over and over and over again. It's like, all right, enough already. Give us justice. Show us what you mean because those, you know, white folks are running the criminal justice system. That's just the way it is. And if you really want to, you know, support, then convict some of these people, convict all of them for, for, for the crime, for the first degree murders, for the hate crimes, for the lynchings, um, you know, change the laws. Um, right now the police departments across America govern themselves. Imagine this, Paula, imagine me and you are both mental health therapists we have licenses so we have to report to licensing boards so we're very careful about um what we're doing with people when we are doing therapy not this podcast because whatever you know (laughs) but when i'm doing therapy we we have a responsibility an ethical obligation to not harm and if we do they don't have to call the police on us. They can call the board and the board would take our license or will investigate what's happening. A nurse cannot just put her knee on her patient's neck because her patient's been in her face because she has a licensing board that she reports to and she knows that that person can call the licensing board and shit would get really happy. Things would happen pretty quickly. We as civilians don't have a licensing board to call. The police are not licensed professionals. They don't have a credentialing process. And so there is no accountability. When we are upset about what's happening to a police officer, we call their boss. And their boss is like, well, let me talk to him. You know what I mean? Like that's what's happening. What would happen 
if if police officers had a licensing contentioning board that held them accountable, that stood between them and the people and their department and the people and said, uh, you had too many calls last year. We this license has got to go. Or we're putting you in a provisional status. Or we're gonna you know, you can't, you're not, you don't have a license, you can't ever be a police officer in any state of this America. You know what I mean? Like what would happen if that if that was in place? It's the even a pilot <laughs> has you know, a licensing board, a credentialing board that they have to go through. Um, if, if, if they did anything wrong or they, you know, flew a plane into something or they, whatever, police are the only, if I'm understanding correctly, and I'm pretty sure there's some police officers like, well, actually we do, but no, you really don't. You know, you, <laughs> you were, my sister is listening. She can't hear y'all, but she's listening to me and she's talking to me. And I'm like, I know, girl. But but seriously, <laughs> she wants to be honest. <laughs> yeah, but seriously though, there is no account. There's no real accountability here um, of what's happening. Like even the licensing board should be able to say, wait, before you fire them, you know, we need to take their license. We need to we need to you know document on record that this person has this particular. Um, a complaint out there against them or whatever like but that's not happening it's not and I don't know if that's going I don't think that's going to solve everything but it would be nice to see that would make a significant difference it checks and balances mm -hmm. even the federal government has checks and balances it's crazy it makes absolutely no sense that somebody with the power the tools and the equipment to take lives like there's no checks and balances for that. Mm -mm. That's wild. That that is that's an important change that needs to happen. How do you how do you envision if if you even have the answer for this? Because I know this is such a big question. But as a social activist, a civil rights activist, how do you envision us being able to get this change to happen? Uh, uh, in addition to what I just mentioned, I think I saw a meme on Instagram too, and I don't know who created, but I think this would, this summed up a lot of my answer to your question. They are making all these arrests when they only really had to make four. You know, they only had to make four. They could have looked at the video. There is nothing else for us to see. There is nothing for, we, we clocked the time, nine minutes on this person's neck. We looked through all of our rule books. There is nowhere in the rule book that say that this is one of the maneuvers that we train in our program for police officers. It's not there, it's not there, it's not there, it's not there. Lock his ass up. Lock up the police officers that also had a duty to protect this individual, even if it's protecting him against their own gang member. Yeah, I said it their own gang member then they had a duty they didn't respond to that duty lock their ass up it's simple but they're arresting all these protesters and looters and everybody else but they weren't doing that before this happened people were going to work and staying in their house and social distancing people were not rioting and looting and whatever the hell they want to call it people were minding their business and then this happened so there is a why this is happening they could have arrested for those people a long time ago and, and we could have, and, and you know, Arab America would have been like, well, four bad police officers got locked up for killing somebody today. Good job, America. But we didn't do that. We're drawing this thing out. We're making it such a, a, a huge thing. And I think it's because it was a black life and it was a police officer um, or it was a white man. You know, what happened with Ahmad? There was really nothing to discuss, you know, discuss, arrest them, you know, uh, lock them up, 
people could have stayed home and, and life would have, but they're not doing that. And that's the problem. That's the thing that's personal. You can't tell us that it doesn't have anything to do with race or we got to check things out or police. We look, you guys are, look in the rule book. There's nowhere in the book that says a, a knee on somebody's neck is going to um, be okay. Like there's nowhere that says that, you know, but they're protecting them. They're protecting these, the government is protecting these white supremacists. The government is protecting these bad cops. Um, the government is, is really invested in the protection of these fucked up individuals. And that's the problem. Because it's could, like, Paula, this could all be so simple. When you said earlier that the system is set up to have good and bad cops, I'm curious if you could expand on that a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, historically, it's been that way. I mean, always. And historically, it's been that way. You have your good cops, you have your bad cops. And what I mean by that is they know that if they say, oh, well, a bad cop did this, let us go in and take care of them. They know what the agenda is and they're killing off black folks and brown people and keeping them in a state of oppression. Or like you said, you know, shaming them into silence with permission and protection from the government. All of them can't do it because, girl, we'd be out here. I'd be, instead of talking to you, I'd probably be out here making sure things are taken care of outside my house. But because they got to make sure there's some order. But they also let a loose string to say, well, if you want to kill yourself a black man today, well, I mean, if you make sure you do it with your uniform on and you catch them with a $20 bill that they said might be fake, then maybe. Or if you can catch them, you know, selling CDs at their store up the street and, you know, you know say that. Or if you turned your body cam off this time and, and it was a malfunction and we can't really get the whole story then. So the government is protecting these people, this protecting the agenda that is happening. And that's the part that is very offensive. And that's the part that we have to fight. And I know that it has to be strategized. It's, it's systemic. That's what I mean when I say they have bad cops and, and good cops and they know it. There's an insidious vein of white supremacy that exists in the police force. And that's just what we all have to wake up to. Like the Ku Klux Klan did not go away. Some of them are probably in the police force because there's no way that you are going to treat a race of people in this manner if you're not coming from the perspective of seeing them as subhuman to you. And that is the definition of white supremacy. Those are the people that rioted the streets and lynched black people. And now some of them are police officers. I mean, that officer was. Mm -hmm. and, and that's another thing for our white allies, if you're wondering, like if you're thinking, it's not enough to be, oh, I'm not a racist or I'm not a white supremacist. See, I'm out here with you guys. You have to be anti that shit. You have to be anti-racism. You have to be anti-supremacy. Um, you know, you have to be anti-injustices and mistreatment of black and brown people. When you say anti, that means you're against it. You have got to pick a side. It's not enough to just be safe and say, well, I'm not a racist, you know, um, and, and, and I, you know, or I, I, I don't believe, I don't, you know, anti, you know, white supremacy. I'm not a white supremacist, you know. I hire, it's not enough to do that. Like that's not enough. That's and, it, and it's a frustrating and it's annoying and it's offensive. Language matters here, and we're listening to our white allies and what they're really saying. We're paying attention to what they are saying. So to say, like I said again, I'm not a racist. Okay, girl, 
what I need you to hear is I'm anti-racism. So that means by any means necessary, I'm going to support you guys against racism. I'm going to support you guys against white supremacy. I'm going to support you against the mistreatment of black people. Because just to say, you know, that's not enough. That's, and it, you know, it's, it's very frustrating and annoying to, to hear your white supporters and counterparts and allies. Language matters. Language matters. Language does matter. It's like seeing, and this is just like a very minimal comparison to it, but it's like being in school and seeing a bully bullying another kid and everyone just watching and being like, well, well, I'm not, I'm not doing it. So I'm watching, but I'm not doing it. But like, if you didn't step in there, you're part of the problem. It's because a lot of white people don't understand that how systematic this is because i keep seeing memes going around too that's like of white people posting like um no one is born racist like we just have to keep loving each other it's like this isn't yet we know that we know that this is bigger than that you live in a system that is racist the system is racist so no matter what black people are going to continue to be oppressed even if you love them, like this is beyond your mm-hmm. own love for them. Like we have, I'm sorry. I, whenever I talk about this, I literally like blow out people's. Valentina has Malcolm X vibes <laughs> <laughs> sometimes. But um. okay. But, but we need that because yeah. you know, like I, I, that's what I said before, you know, I'm not a, I'm not going to make any judgment about what I'm seeing right now in the news and how people are expressing their pain, their black pain or their pain for black lives. I, I don't have a comment on it. Cause I say it like this. We need people to fuck shit up. We need the prayers and the people who are holding community circles together and uplifting people. We need people like you who are using your platforms and doing what you're doing. We need everybody right now in this fight. So if you have an inner warrior, um, I'm ready to do whatever I got to do. We need you too. Because don't get it twisted. Um, Malcolm, you know, Mark, uh, Martin Luther King was very peaceful in his tactics, but you better believe he had an army of soldiers that he had to you know, he, he, he had his folks and there's not a movie that you can watch on Martin Luther King where he had to say, all right, guys, all right, we're going to have to scale back a little bit. We have those people in every last one of these cities. And I say, let them do what they need to do. You know what I mean? Because at this point we can't decide, oh, we can only do it this way, or we only need to do it like this, or you guys are doing too much or no. These are people are expressing their black pain. We need everybody on all fronts. Um, I say go for it. Yeah. Coming at it from all the angles is really important. So, yeah. So, you know, this black experience is not, it's not new because of George Bear. You know, we've been doing and fighting and this our whole, whole life, you know, our whole lives. And um, we need our, you know, our white allies to support us where it matters, where it counts. And like you said, you know, it's nice to have the love and the support and the and to hold hands and stuff like that. And I saw a picture of a, a group of white people who were um, kind of being like a barrier between the police and the black protesters. And I thought that was profound. And but we really, really need changes in our government and our in our in our systems. All the angles, because, all the angles. Because, because, because they're protecting, the government is protecting these people. If we really just look at it, it could, 
you kill some, you know, it could be simple, but they are protecting them. There's no reason those police officers um, should still be home with their protection around their little houses and things like that. Um, that the, the people who, you know, murdered Ahmad should have went home and had their homes protected by the government. And it's just, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And what, what I want to, I, I remember now what I wanted to say is that um, a lot of times that we say that it's, you know, white people waking up and, and stuff, but it's not just white people. I think it's anybody that's non-black because there's ignorance in the Latin community for sure. I've seen it. I've lived it. There's ignorance in every different um, ethnicity. It's not, it's not just white people. Although like it, there, that does tend to be the generalization that it's, you know, white versus black, but the ignorance goes across the spectrum of anybody that is non-black. Like anyone that is non-black is equally responsible for all of this. Right. Just as much as the white people that, you know, are, are waking up. We're, we're all, we're all here. <laughs> we're all doing this. Yeah. I agree with you, um, Paula. I do that. It, it, non-white is very important, but I also think it's important for us to understand that um, white people though, <laughs> you know, they're, they, they, we need to see them show up and show out also because, not, not. because, because of the way that America is designed, we understand, you know, the, the hierarchy or the, you know, the privilege. Um, we understand that and we see that. And so it's nice to, to see, you know, white people show up and not just show up, but to hold their own white folks accountable and this white government accountable um, for what's happening but too. More importantly, we need to see them in for the long Yeah, that makes a lot yeah. of sense. And and again, um, when I talk about the the murders and the mistreatment, we also need to see it consistently. So not just when a black person is murdered, but when they're mistreated, when there's injustices that's happening in our courtrooms. It's not just enough to just say, oh, we're sick and tired of this. Another cop killed another black person. Like we really need to see the support, the outrage when we are just waking up black and, and being assaulted or waking up black and being mistreated. You worked in the prison system, right? What do you think our listeners need to understand about that system? Um, it's, it ain't, first of all, I worked um, as a correction officer for a very short time and okay. jail. And I'll tell you this, um, that's not for me. Because even though you can say we have a lot of good people in our, you know, systems, officers, correction officers, police officers, and I'll say we do need, you know, order. And so I'm not saying these people's jobs are without a purpose, but I do know that there's a certain type of person that you have to be um, to work in those fields. I just believe that there's a certain set of characteristics, a certain type of behaviors, attitudes, mannerisms that you need to work in that particular profession. And it just didn't fit with me. It didn't fit with my, um, my spirit, my aura, my energy. And it was confirmed when I was working there. I wanted to connect with the people that, you know, I was being a guard to or whatever. And I wanted to understand their stories because I know people don't just fall into prison. And I'm also aware and I know that black and brown people disproportionately represent 
you know, the individuals that are in our prisons. And I know that sometimes people go to prison or in jail uh, for crimes that they didn't commit because they had to enter a plea. I also know that there's a whole lot more backstory and that everybody who was in jail is not guilty. It's not an animal. Um, it's not, um, you know, this horrible human being. I get that. So I was interested in understanding them from that, from a very human um, place. And they just would not connect with me. Because that's, my interesting. Human- that's interesting that you say that because wh- what I'm hearing is that you were interested in rehabilitation mm-hmm. and the most effective prison systems in other countries are interested in rehabilitation. You know, yeah. here we are just locking people up who actually need rehabilitation. There's no reason why you should take somebody that is already suffering, which is the only reason that maybe you did commit a crime if you're in there justly, which a lot of times you're not even in there justly, but let's just say what you need is rehabilitation, not more abuse. And that's what's messed up about the criminal justice system here. Absolutely. So if we're going to talk about the people who are in there justly because there was a crime that was committed, right? Because we already know, I want to put that out there, that I know there is a whole lot more people in our criminal justice system who should be with their families. Absolutely. Okay. So we're talking about the ones that are in there justly. And if we're talking about, um, you know, rehabilitation, it's not designed for that in, in no way. And you could just, just on the way on, 44 out of 50 of our prisons um, have more um, mental health individuals in them than state hospitals across the United States. So we know that they're not getting the treatment that they need. Nobody is processing with them, um, you know, the trauma that they might have experienced when they were arrested and came into prison, um, what it was like to be separated from their families, um, you know, how are they going to manage prison or jail for the next five years? Um, you know, what, what are their plans? What are their emotional needs? What are their mental health needs? We know that they don't even receive a lot of times mental health treatment. There's no form of therapy in, in a jail or prison other than some of these uh, support groups that they might have for people who are addicted to drugs. So they might have an AA or an NA meeting. And even that's just so they could check a box off to say that they did what they were supposed to do. But it's not really, it's not, it's not designed for that. And I know that it plays a, a huge connection to recidivism and why there are people who are cycling in and out of jails and prison because they're not getting any of that while they're in there. Yeah. So there's no mental health services for them and there's no mental health services for the cops that's mm-hmm. designed into the system. Right. And, and what is- I was saying um, as a correction officer, me not being able to connect and I knew I had to get out of there quickly. Um, it's because a woman looked at me and I'll never forget her name while I was there. She had just got back from court. And I was like, well, how did it go? You know, um, cause she was telling me she was concerned that she were, you know, they were going to take her kids. And I said, like, well, how did it go? And she got off the elevator and went back into her cell. And she was just saying, you don't give a fuck about me, Officer Johnson. You don't care about me. And that was that. And I knew that it, it broke my heart because I actually did care but I couldn't care in that role as an officer because that's just not what we were there to do. We were there to maintain order um, and to make sure people are doing what they're supposed to do. And I just felt like that's not, that's not it. This uniform is getting in the way. And so for a lot of times, the uniform represents betrayal. Mm-hmm. It's re-traumatizing. And to be a, a black woman in a uniform talking to another black woman about 
her kids been taken away from her because she's in jail now or whatever the case may be. She didn't want to hear anything I had to say. In fact, I looked like a traitor to her. And wow. I just wasn't okay with that. It, you know, like I said, it takes a certain type of person to do it and, and to maintain that certain level of detachment or whatever they do. Um, and my lieutenant, he told me when I was going through the orientation, he said, you're going to be a problem officer, Johnson. He said, um, you're a rebel, is what he called me. Because you cared. <laughs> That's you're gonna be a you're gonna be a problem is what he told me i mean but that just shows you how messed up the system is that mm -hmm. if you care you're a rebel so they're basically indoctrinating um inhumanity into the system right you go out anywhere else in the world and you're you're a rebel if you don't care then you go into a criminal justice system and you're a rebel if you care there's a lot of work to do a lot of work to do. So I'll say, um, if, if you don't mind, I, I, this is perfectly stated. And if I can, um, this, I just want to read it. It says to our white allies, we have been black all of our lives. And I, and I mentioned that to you too. Um, we have lost friends, family. Hold on one second. Sorry. To all of our white lives, we have been black all of our lives. We have lost friends, family, jobs, opportunities, promotions, etc. at the fight for justice and equality. How prepared are you to commit to fighting for justice? Because it is not easy. It's an incredibly hard fight. Are you prepared to commit to fighting for justice? Um, it can last for decades. So how, how long are you in? How long are you willing to stay on the front lines? Um, are you in it for the long haul? And so it's just one of those things where we need to see you here and stay here, not just stop and visit and bring us something sweet to eat or bring us water or pat on the back or kumbaya or light a candle. But are you really in it for the long haul? And then are you willing to um, lose your counterparts? Are you willing to kind of suffer some of the same losses that we've suffered on this whole fight to justice inequality. And I just want them to, to understand that we, that's the type of level of commitment. That's the kind of love you mentioned love earlier. That's the kind of love that we need to see. Yep. Not just when it's trendy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think what you said earlier is you sums all of this up really, really well is that you need to pick what side you're going to be on. Have to. You're either on the side or you're against it. You can't sit in the middle. If you sit in the middle, then you're not, you're not playing with us. And you can do that without becoming hateful. Mm -hmm. That's a really important message that I want to put out there because if you allow yourself to be completely consumed by the anger, which is justifiably there, right? We need to notice it. We need to be aware of it and we need to allow it to mobilize us. But we allow, if we allow ourselves to be completely consumed by the anger and filled with hatred in our own hearts, then those white supremacists are basically recruiting us over to the same type of energy that they exist in. So this is a fight for love warriors, honestly. Mm -hmm to continue to, to move towards that peace and to stand yeah. in that ground without allowing them to take us over into that darkness. 
I completely agree with that. I totally agree with that. And just like I'll talk to any of my clients who may feel like a certain type of hatred towards um, their father who abused them. I always let them know, you know, make sure you're not leading with hate because it can make you into the father that you feel like you don't want to become. Or you, you know, we got to make, like you said, it could transform us. And then we don't have to become who they are, right? We don't. But right now, I feel like we have to create the space for people to express their Black pain and not tell them to be quiet and not tell them to go home because people need to express themselves because if you're not there, you're sending them home to, to choke and to swallow this trauma. And, and that's not helping either. So I do feel like, you know, it's one of those things where if I could offer any type of suggestion, set your intention for the day. So if you're a fighter, you're a warrior for this justice, and you want to go out there, set your intention so that you know what today is supposed to be for you. And then make sure that you're taking time to take care of yourself at the end of that day, because that's super important. And I know people talk about self-care and it sounds so cliche, but we really have to do that and take care of ourselves too. But be intentional. Make sure you're doing something with purpose and meaning. Um, because you're right, we don't want to become um, what they taught us. No. And if we, if, if that fills our entire nervous system, that's, you know, just from like a scientific biological perspective, we're going to have cortisol, which is a stress hormone running through our body at all times. So now not only have they taken power from us systematically, but we're allowing them to take power from us biologically. So the moment that we allow them to infiltrate our beings and our cells, we are once again, handing over the power you know, like, are we going to let the system also take that away from us? Right. Or health away from us? So I completely agree with you, Tori, and prioritize your self-care. Continue mm -hmm. to shower yourself with that love and make sure that, like, if you need a day off, if you need some time away from this, take it. You know, going back to what you said in the very beginning of, of you know, not allowing this movement to turn into everybody judging each other for how they are participating because exactly. some days you're just going to need to rest. You know, I can't honestly, like with pretty mental on Instagram, for example, we typically make daily posts, but this week I just, I haven't even felt bad about not making daily posts because mm -hmm. I can't, it's hard to even be on there because I already know what the work that needs to be done is. So I don't need it to be filling my consciousness every moment of the day that's actually going to distract me from the work that needs to be done. Yeah, absolutely. And for the people who are posting about it, because I, I have been verbal about it on my Insta personal Instagram, and I know you have too on your personal Instagram, but these posts are, are great. They're great for awareness. They're great for, you know, showing your friends where you stand, what side you're on. But let's remember that they're meaningless if you're not actually doing something with it. They're meaningless if you're not actually strategizing and figuring out a way that you can break down the system slowly and ways that you can, yeah. Or standing up to your own family. Stand up to your own family. Like, mm -hmm. Also, you can donate. You, you know, I saw someone, Rachel Cargill, was it Rachel Cargill? Someone was saying, um, you know, for all the, all the people who feel guilty right now, put your money where your guilt is. I'm like, you do that. Get, mm -hmm. Donate. There's, donate to 
billions of funds right now trying to get people out of jail that are there for protesting. Donate to George Floyd's family. Donate to Mm -hmm. a number of of places that you can donate to. But the posts are good. But just remember, and as we as we labeled our last podcast for everyone who's listening, it was be outraged, but make sure you're actually taking action. Right. Agree. Totally agree. Um, action is, is important. And I also wanted to say to you, Paula, because I think you mentioned, you know, if you need to take time off, right? I don't want, you know, black people, brown people, any of the allies to feel like they can't take a day for themselves, because you certainly can. I have, you know, I do. Um, there is, you know, I have a beautiful black bouncing 10 month old son that um, I have to be here for. Right. And um, it's crazy because right now he's super cute. Right. And like everybody's like, oh, my gosh, I was in one of these stores the other day and I was like, oh, my gosh, he's so cute and everything. And then I just know that by the time he's seven or eight, depending on how he grows in size, he could be a threat already. I mean, Tamir Rice was 12. Right. Um, you know, and Tavon cried out for his mom and even George Floyd, a very grown man cried out for his mother. Right. So it's, it's personal and it hurts, but I also have to take time to, um, be in love with him and have joy with him and, and have good times with him and show him the beautiful parts that do exist in this, this crazy world. Um, and, you know, introduce him to the butterflies outside and, you know, <laughs> just, you know, do those things with him because um, it just, it gives me some type of sound, uh, like some type of grounding. Um, and it, it brings joy to my, to my heart. And um, I think we need to make sure that we're still letting peace in and finding times to let joy in, you know, even though this is very sad and, times right now and very um very inflamed times right now we still can find the joy um and you know existing and being with our families and holding on to our loved ones and um teaching our children um and learning through them and and so i want to make sure that we are taking time to do that too and not feeling guilty for doing it when we do yeah that's super important i'm really glad that you said that in such a beautiful manner and I, you know, this is a message I want to say for every traumatic video and post that you witness, please go find yourself at least three pieces of content or pieces of life Mm -hmm. that bring joy and love back in uh, because we need that. That's the only way that this is going to be sustainable. If you just kind of, it's kind of like uh, if we're just like binging on social justice right now and people are going to burn out if they don't find a way to pace themselves. Like this has been happening for hundreds of years. It's not going to go away this week. We're just, a lot of people are really aggressively waking up this week. So there's a big sense of urgency, but just, you know, just so all the listeners out there, make sure that you don't allow that to burn you out because this isn't a sprint. This is a marathon. So Mm -hmm. make sure that it's sustainable for you. Yep. Agree. Totally. And it's going to take some, it's going to take some time for justice when you, you know, um, it's going to take time, but I think it's, it's definitely worth fighting for. We should try to keep the momentum up again. Um, so however you feel like you want to participate in the justice of black and brown people and advocating for the mistreatment um, of black and brown people, 
um, we need it. And it comes in different shapes and different sizes. And um, again, I don't want to critique the way anybody is choosing to participate right now, um, especially if it's obviously um, not causing any additional violence. Um, but yeah, we, we need people on all fronts. So if you're a prayer, we need, you know, a prayer warrior, we need prayer warriors. If you're more of a, I'm out there all night long, we need you out there all night long. <laughs> you know, if you're more of a, well, I want to promote a healing circle every Thursday in my local library. We want you to hear, we need you here too. Um, platforms like radio and um, podcasts, all of it, because I don't want it to lose momentum either. And that's why I'm so excited about, you know, the numbers that we have right now, because we do have enough time for somebody to say, okay, Monday and Tuesday, I'm tagging out, but you still have people who are there. You know what I mean? And if you need to tag out on Thursday and Friday and take care of yourself, I'm still here, you know? So I, it, there is, um, I do find some peace knowing that we have those numbers and that people are um, very hype about what's happening right now as we should be, but it's going to take some time. And so to all of our white allies, to all of our non-black allies, you got, you got to stay in it for the long haul. Don't get tired because we, we've been tired. <laughs> we've been tired so don't come in this thing and get tired and start flaking and disappearing and vanishing and and taking extended breaks off because we still need you keep the momentum mm -hmm. i love that that's important you know take your breaks make it sustainable but keep the momentum because this momentum is what's going to create the shift absolutely yep okay all right <laughs> have we reached our time limit yeah, I mean, is there anything else that you would like to say? Anything that, you know, has been helpful for you this week or just anything? You've given us a lot of great information already. Yeah, well, I hope that, you know, you can use it however you need to. But um, and thank you for thinking about me to be on this podcast. And um, yeah, I'm just I'm fired up, ready to go. I'm excited about what your audience has to say about the podcast. Um, thank you guys for putting this together and speaking on it. Um, I know we were supposed to talk about the criminal justice system and mental health, and we will at some we'll point. We did. <laughs> yeah, like we, we did. did. Yeah, yeah, we did. We certainly did. But woo, there's so much more that we could pull apart about that, Paula. You already know. <laughs> there's so many layers. We have so many yeah. kinds of videos and get you back on. And yeah, this, this is only the beginning. So I'm, I, I love that we are getting to reconnect in this manner. It seems perfect for the kind of uh, relationship that we built when we were in grad school. So yeah, I agree. And I'm glad that you're doing what you're doing. It's, a, yeah. it's amazing. You too. You too. Yeah, before, thank you. Before we go, though, we do want to ask you something that we ask all of our guests okay. is what does mental health mean to you? Oh, what does mental health mean to me? Um, very good question. Mental health to me is just, you know, taking care of the, the inside, doing your inside work, doing your inner work, um, and then addressing it. So there's a lot that people don't want to talk about when it comes to their mental health, but um, there's no shame. There's no stigma. We all have our things that we go through, um, but we, we, we are responsible for you know, cleaning out our attics and, and, you know, going through our stuff and sorting out our, our mess and our confusion. Um, and then finding peace, 
and finding our peaceful places. And um, like I tell my clients, we are the gatekeepers to our emotions and to our mental. Um, and no one can really disrupt that without our permission. And that sounds like a huge responsibility, but it is. So let's do your work, do your inner work. Um, and you know, it's 100% it's yours. And so um, we still have to take care of it. Our mental health, we still have to make sure that we are um, finding those peaceful places that reside within us. Um, despite, you know, the things that have happened and around us, the things that has happened to us. Love that. Perfect. Mm -hmm. And where, where can our listeners find you? You're on yeah. Instagram, right? Or, or your website or? Uh, well, facebook.com slash therapy with Tori. It's a good place to go. And then we'll you can sure. find everything else there. We'll make sure we add you to our, because we have a list of trusted therapists in our Pretty Mental website for people to go to in case they need a, a therapist. Mm -hmm. going on there oh nice very good yeah my my clients um are pretty intentional when they select me as their therapist <laughs> because yeah you have to I'm, I'm just a realist yeah people's pain is real people's healing is real I take it seriously um they're, they're you're ready to do your work let's do it um so yeah love it love it love it thank you Tori thank you Tori you're welcome talk Care to yourself later. out there Thank you. You too. We will talk to you soon again because we have so much more to talk to you about. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.